Good morning, Orangewood, and uh, it's good to have you here. It's good to be with you. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mom's Day and stepmoms and grandmoms and foster moms and spiritual moms and all kinds of moms. Moms-to-be, we thank you uh, and we honor you today. We don't often know how to thank you enough, but we do thank you today and appreciate you. We learn so much from our moms, don't we? Good night. My My favorite email text was from a guy who wrote what he learned from his mom. He said, my mother taught me so many things. She taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. (laughs) My mother taught me religion. She taught me, you better pray that comes out of the carpet. (laughs) My mother taught me about time travel. She said, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into next week. (laughs) This was a northern mother from New York, I think. My mother taught me logic. She said, because I said so, that's why. And if you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. Some of you, that'll sink in a little bit later. Uh, My mother taught me about foresight. She said, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me about the science of osmosis. She said, shut your mouth and eat your supper. (laughs) My mother taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it as well. We learn a lot from our moms. Parenting is a child. It's, uh, It's a challenge. Being a mom and being a dad, it's messy business and uh, yet it's a terrific joy. And yet, you know, the reality is, is, is that your kids won't appreciate you until they have their own kids. And then they'll think you hung the moon when they figure out you put up with them. But um, now can we talk? Mother's Day is a mixed blessing, isn't it? It's a challenging day for many. Uh, some of you, Mother's Day is a great day because you had a great mom and you like being a mom. And, and that's wonderful. But some of you, Some of you had difficult earthly mother experiences, and it's rougher for you. We know that. And some of you have gone through the tragedy of loss of a child, which makes this a very difficult, difficult day. Or or you haven't yet been able to have children, and you've wanted children. Uh, Or you're a step-parent, and your stepkids don't appreciate you. I was the step-kid. So I don't know. I I know that there's a lot of challenges uh, with this day. But one thing I can say is that uh, there's no perfect mom. There's forgiveness for failure. And um, there is deep healing in the cross of Jesus Christ. Even on a good day for many and a challenging and a sad day for others. So uh, ladies, we appreciate you more than we can say. And you have a spiritual ministry in our lives. And uh, some of your spiritual moms, I remember what one spiritual mom said to me after I uh, preached a sermon, after I was, it was early on as a preacher, and it was a long sermon. I went over a little bit more, and she came up after the sermon, patted me on the wrist, and said, sometimes the best sermons are the shorter ones. <laughs> and as she was walking out the door, I was praying she would get the fever and die right then. <laughs> But I did become paranoid about preaching too long, and so that's probably a good thing. So, spiritual moms, we appreciate you. Well, today we continue our series in Philippians, and as we continue our study in this, in this great book, it's really a book about how, how God and in the gospel brings joy into our life and transforms us. 
And at the very end of the book of Philippians, we see that God is talking about the warriors that grace makes us, men and women, building us into warriors. So we're going to look at Grace Warrior Part 2 as we start thinking about the mind. Because when we come to faith in Christ, stuff happens. Change begins to happen. We begin to think differently. The messiness, the cloudiness of our minds does begin to dissipate. And God works in our minds, then in our hearts, and then out in our behavior. We're going to look at that together about how the gospel shapes our thinking. So before we do that, though, let's bow our heads and hearts quickly again in prayer. Our great God, we do come into your presence today. And we honor you. We thank you that we have been able to sing songs that have lifted us out of the, of the everyday and into your presence. That we've been reminded that you are high and holy and lifted up and that you are, you are great. You are transcendent and yet you are imminent here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're very close to us and in our hearts. And as we think about your holiness and your grandeur, we we have been brought to the end of ourselves. We confess our sins, and yet we run right to the cross and are so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you came, that you took our sin, that you fulfilled the law for us, and that now the Father looks at us differently because of faith in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be the one to continue to train our minds even now. Uh, Lord, we need you. We, we thank you for our mothers and spiritual mothers. And I pray a special blessing on them and pray that you, Holy Spirit, would touch them today in the way they need to be touched. But Lord, now we need you to do a work in, in our thinking. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Help us to think your thoughts after you as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, here we are, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, two verses. Count them, two verses. Should be a short sermon, right? Should be, may not be. Uh, who knows? We'll see how it ends up. But this is a powerful text, Philippians 8, 4, 8, and 9, some of my favorite verses in this entire book. The Apostle Paul says under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, as we jump into this text, and let's do that. Let's just jump into it. Let's, let's do some thinking about the mind. Because the Apostle Paul is, is wrapping up this book, and he, he's talking about the mind. So let's do some thinking about the mind. Uh, as you notice, he started out with the word finally. That means he really is getting ready to wrap up this book. Next week, we'll finish it. <clears throat> We're going to look at verses 10 through 23 and uh, pull together some of Paul's miscellaneous conclusions uh, that he has to the great church in Philippi. Uh, 
But today he's talking about the mind, and he wants us to, to think about what is on the mind. And he's, he's bringing us to a to, to major thought. He's saying, I'm going to end this book, finally. Now, what I want to talk about is what you think about. Let's talk about your mind. This really is uh, what this book is culminating in. He wants us to think about our mind and what's on our mind. He's talking about the power of our minds in our lives as Christ followers today. And, and as we look at verse 8, you notice it, it's, it's translated. Actually, I, I misread it from up here. Uh, it says, dwell on these things. But in the older New American Standard translation of the Bible, it says, let your mind dwell on these things. Uh, in, in, in the, uh, the newer translation, it just says, dwell on these things. The ESV and the NIV translation of the Bible just says, think on these things. And I want you to know that's just way too mild for me. I, I like the uh, good news translation. It says, fill your mind with these things. But I think the original text comes out better in the, the older New American Standard, where it says, let your mind dwell on these things. He's going to talk about those things that we ought to have our mind dwell on. It's a command. It's not, hey, here's some things to think about. It's a command. The apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has said, these are the things you need to think about. There's fire in his belly as he, as he writes these last words. There's some power here. It, it's, it's, it's like what he says in Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is on our mind is absolutely determinative about us. And, and it's interesting that he, as he brings this up, he's basically making the point that as we're thinking about what's going on around us, we can think about what we're thinking as somebody else is talking or is about, well, have you noticed that? I've noticed that myself. As I'm interacting with people, uh, I'm thinking about what they're saying and I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about saying. And I'm thinking about the fact that I probably shouldn't say what I'm thinking about thinking in response to what they're saying. But the mind has that capacity, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? We have the capacity to understand our thinking uh, as we're thinking. And that's what Paul is saying. It, it's powerful. Our thinking, your thinking, my thinking. Uh, the motivational speaker Zig Ziglar used to say uh, that there's such a thing as stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. I like that. I asked my son what that meant. He said, I don't know. But it's, it's bad thinking, right? And, and some of us have stinking thinking, negative thinking. You've, Norman Vincent Peale used to talk about the power of what? The power of positive thinking. I think I'm going to write a book entitled The Power of Negative Thinking. I, I've seen so much of it as a pastor. I'm going to get Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh to help me write that book. Eeyore, oh my goodness, you all don't raise your hand. Do you know any Eeyores? Oh my goodness, I try to stay away from Eeyores. Um, spend a little bit of time as possible. The Power of Negative Thinking. Um, George Orwell once made a comment about how people think. Because, because it's interesting what people say usually comes from what, they've, what they're thinking. George Orwell said, there are some ideas that are so preposterous that only intellectuals would believe them. 
I feel that way when I listen to the news sometimes. I go, man, you would not say that if you weren't from an, ac- from an academic institution because normal people don't think that way. Uh, how we think affects, every- affects our relationship. Anton Chekhov said, man is what man believes. Largely, that's true. Our, our, our psychology affects our sociology a lot of the times. The way we think affects our inter- interactions with people. I, I love the story of this guy that moved into a, um, a small town up in the south, and he was getting gas at a gas station, and he ta- I was talking to the attendant, and he said, as he pointed across the street to this church, he said, hey, I just moved into town, and I got to um, find a new church. Can you tell me anything about that church? And he said, oh, yeah, I can tell you a lot about that church, but, but first tell me about the church you came from. He said, oh, <laughs> that church. Had a lot of negative, judgmental, angry people. Uh, and the guy said, yeah, yeah, you know, that church, they're going to be the same way. Because how we think affects how we interpret other people. Uh, and it's, it's amazing how we think. We, it's hard to think godly thoughts. It's hard to think good thoughts in this kind of world. E.E. Cummings put it this way. The hardest challenge is to be yourself in a world where everyone is trying to make you somebody else. That's true. You know there's a battle for your mind, don't you? Every day, there's a battle for your thinking and my thinking every day of our life. The battle started the minute you woke up today. And, and, and we often uh, don't realize that. And we often don't realize how as Christ followers, what we think is indicative of our Christianity, but how it affects our whole life. You know, the Greek philosophers, uh, when, they, when they finally overthrew the gods, their whole thing was trying to figure out life based on autonomous human thinking. That's what the Greek philosophers were all about. And we always say, oh, Socrates, Plato, that's great. Oh, they're wonderful. They were trying to construct life without God. That's what our world is trying to get us to do today. Humanism, materialism is really based on life without God. So we have a long history of bad thinking in the world today. Let me ask you a question. Where did bad thinking begin? It began in the Garden of Eden, right there. Stinking thinking. Eve, Adam, Adam, Eve, started right there. Started with the serpent and, and, and the thinking that, uh, that God didn't want their best. That God was trying to hold out on them. The bad thinking started there and all of human history is really the history of the attack on the mind and then the heart and then the life that flows out of all that, because that's the way we typically live, through our mind, our heart, our affections, and then out through our lives. William Barclay put it this way, the human mind will always set itself on something. And Paul wished to be quite sure that the Philippians would set their minds on the right things. It's a law of life that if a man thinks of something often enough and long enough, he will come to the stage where he cannot stop thinking about it. His thoughts will be quite literally in a groove out of which he cannot jerk them. That's true, isn't it? Common sense is true. All right, let's, let's do this. A confession is, a, is good for the soul. How many of you have had your minds, don't raise your hand yet. How many of you had your minds in a groove of thinking 
that was not necessarily the best and you couldn't get your mind out of that. And finally, somebody said to you, you got to stop thinking that way. All right. Now, how many of you have been there like that? First service raised a bunch of hands. That's all. And those of you who didn't raise your hands, you lie about other things too. <laughs> We've all been there. Oh man, this is incredible. Uh, because that's the world in which we live. Sometimes we absolutely get fixated on things. And I've had my elders say, Pete, you got to stop thinking about that. All right. There's a flip side. Not only do we get in a groove of thinking about things that are counterproductive, but sometimes we don't have in our mind what ought to be in our mind. And that's what C.S. Lewis uh, has the senior demon saying to the demon in training. He says, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is, by, is done by keeping things out. So there's a, a double attack as we as Christ followers think about our minds. There's some things that get into our minds that shouldn't be in our minds, and we stay in a groove out of which we can't jerk ourselves. And then, and then there are things that ought to be in our mind that aren't in our minds. It should be there. They need to be there. So as we think about our minds, it's important to understand uh, what our, where our minds are at. I love, one of my favorite doctrines as, as, a, as a Presbyterian pastor is the doctrine of total depravity. It's one of the most encouraging doctrines around. You say, you're nuts. No, I love it. The doctrine of total depravity. It's not the doctrine of absolute depravity. Now, some people have thought I was the, the living example of absolute depravity. I was as bad as I could possibly be. I'm not. But the doctrine of total depravity basically says that sin has affected every part of our being, right? It's affected the way we think. It's affected the affections of my heart. And then it's affected what I do is I make decisions out of the will, my will that's fallen. See, that's a very comforting doctrine because it helps me understand myself. Helps me understand you. Helps me understand all people. That, that, the, that the doctrine of total depravity is that our theologians talk about the noetic effects of the fall. Is that in the fall, my thinking has been affected. Now, the great news is that in the gospel, there's a turnaround that is under, underway. That in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not only forgiven of our sins, we're not only redeemed so that we can go to heaven, but that redemption begins now. And that our thinking can be restored. That's good news, isn't it? Particularly if you have a past where you've got all these tapes playing in your mind about how bad you are or what a failure you are or about how, not, how you're not very good or about whatever it is or about the failures of your past. The good news is God redeems our mind. So the first challenge here and this first point about thinking about the mind is how's your mind? What's on your mind on a regular basis throughout the day? What was on your mind when you woke up? How would you characterize your, your mind? It's important. Do, when you tell people what you're thinking, do they go, hmm, interesting, as they start backing away? Or do they, well, would you say you have good thinking, stinking thinking? My friend Harry Johnstone in Connecticut used to say, I'd say, Harry, Harry, how you doing? He goes, oh, I got bad brain today. Bad brain. 
I love that. He was a postman. Guy, he's just so real. My thinking's not good today. Well, sit down. Let's talk. Let's get it worked out. And so our thinking is so important. And because we don't know what we don't know about what ought to be in our mind, the Apostle Paul says, all right, we've talked enough about the mind. We've done some thinking about the mind. Now let's do some thinking about our thinking. What ought to be on our thinking? And that's where he gets into verse 8. And he says, all right, here you go. This is what ought to be on our conscious mind as Christ followers. First of all, brethren and sistren, whatever is, what's the first one? Whatever is true. Whatever is true. We ought to think about that which is true. Because Christians are about the truth, aren't we? We really are. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, The gospel, the good news of the gospel, is we have been set free from sin and death and hell. We're about the truth. And so it just makes sense that as Christians, truth ought to be on our mind. What Francis Schaeffer used to talk about, true truth, ultimate truth, the real thing from God. We hear this on the news all the time that we live in a day of fake news. Is it true? Yeah, true. Sure. There's a lot of fake news out there. But you know, we've always lived in a time of fake news, haven't we? I mean, human history is a history of fake news. That's just a different title for it. Satan is the father of lies. And in every culture and in every age, you want to read a fascinating story, uh, not story, but a, a, a defense of the, the fall of the Roman Empire. Read Edward Gibbon. Drove me crazy reading that book. He blamed Christians for the fall of the Roman Empire. Are you kidding me? That's a lie. The whole book, it's a famous book. Intellectuals love it. It's a pack of lies. Fake news is, has been everywhere, and it's always been the truth uh, that there has been fake news. Retired General Martin Dempsey uh, uh, wrote a book called Radical Inclusion what the post-9-11 world should have taught us about leadership. And in that book, he talks about what he calls the digital echo. Maybe you know what, it, what he's talking about. We live in a day and age because of the internet and social media that stuff gets out there real quick. Have you ever posted something that you thought was true and found out later wasn't true? I have. I've used sermon illustrations. And um, the guys come up afterwards and go, Pete, that's an urban legend. I checked it out this week. Didn't happen. Really? Okay. So I'd use it in the second service and say, wasn't that a great illustration? It wasn't true, but it was a good illustration. <laughs> but Dempsey talks about the fact that there's a digital echo. Stuff is sent out and it's, and it's echoing around and it's moving. It's all over the place and you can't stop it. So there's intentional fake news. There's unintentional fake news, but there are a lot of lies. We live in an age of advertising and branding. People are always over-promising, under-delivering. So we need to focus on truth. True truth. I had an appointment with an assistant pastor in another church a couple of weeks ago, a young guy, and he was telling me about some changes that were taking place in his church, some pending changes. So this is what my senior pastor is going to do. This is the change that's coming. And I, I got to have some wisdom on how to think about it. And by the way, in church, there's always change, right? There's always change. Every church uh, down through history, there's always change. And so uh, 
So I was listening to him, and I said, well, how are you going to negotiate this change that's coming? And uh, he goes, I think I'm going to just ride this out. And the more I was listening to him, this young guy, um, it came out in his talk. He says, you know, I, I read the Bible through twice a year. I go, what? I'm Presbyterian. I'm ordained. I don't even read the Bible through twice a year. I should probably not have confessed that to you. But I'm sitting here listening to this young guy, and I noticed one thing he had. He just had such a balance to him. He had a calm. He had a wisdom beyond his years. I thought, I should have hired you to be one of my assistant pastors. Then I thought, two times a year, huh? Truth transforms, changes us. Truth always wins out. It always overcomes evil. Always. It has overcome me. And I know that some of you wake up in the morning with stinking thinking about yourself. You wake up and you're negative about yourself. I can't do this. I haven't done this. I'm not good enough at that. And that critical spirit that is in you affects other people. You know why I know that? Because I do that. And so every morning as I start my day, I have to remember who I am. That I am the deeply beloved, redeemed son of the most high God. And that God isn't angry at me. And that because of Jesus, actually, he loves me a lot. Changes my thinking. So when I meet you, it's, it's okay. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, we got to focus on that. Whatever's honorable, the word is semnos in the original, and it's a really big idea. That which is honorable, let your mind dwell on that which is honorable. Nobly serious. Nobly serious is the idea. There's a lot that is flippant and cheap and cynical out there. And he says, let your mind focus on that which is honorable. And uh, boy, I, I tell you, I like to laugh. I like jokes. I like to laugh. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, uh, <laughs> British uh, history. Uh, he, was, he had 12,000 books in his library. He was a brain. Great preacher in his day. I loved it. He used to tell jokes in his uh, sermons sometimes. One lady came up to him after one of his sermons, and she had apparently just sucked on a lemon, and she had just uh, was talking to him and said, said, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself for telling a joke in church. He looked at her and smiled and said, Madam, you have no idea what I hold back. You have no idea. I, you have no idea what I hold back. But no, I can't say that. I like to laugh. The gospel enables us to laugh. Not take ourselves so seriously, uh, but to take God seriously. But actually, I'm a very serious person. I really am a serious person. I'm not in, I, I deeply, deeply want my thinking to be honorable. And, it, and, and at times it's not. And I want that. I need the Holy Spirit to, 
I need to be around honorable people. I want to be around honorable people so that my thinking can be influenced by them because there's so many terminally trivial people out there. You see them in the media all the time. Finally, brethren, what is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, the better translation is the ESV translation. Whatever is just. It's the, it's the word that uh, is related to the word justification. Whatever is just, let your mind dwell on what is just. Um, God is a just God. And he wants us to think about that which is just. So in our relationships with people, we are just with them as well. I had lunch this week with one of your millennial young men in this church, and it was a great, a great talk, great time at lunch, sharp guy. And, uh, after meeting with him, I ran across a quote from Tim Keller, who said this, when the world sees us doing evangelism, they just see us recruiting. When they see us doing justice, they see God's glory. I thought, huh. Justice is important. And then we started talking about what is just to him and what is just to me. And uh, I want you to know, I know what's just, and I know how he ought to think what is just. But as we were talking, he had a, a major ministry in my life in helping me think outside the box. Hey, listen, the church of Jesus Christ is multi-generational, isn't it? It's multi-generational, and it should be that way. We've got builders here, the greatest generation still. We've got some builders. We've got some boomers. That's my generation. We've got some Xers. Uh, we've got some millennials here. And we've got the next generation. They all ran out of here. They're not in here today. I don't even know what we want to call them yet. But we've got a multi-generational church, don't we? And we don't all think the same about what is just. But I know this, that if the if the church, the multi-generational church, doesn't listen to each other, we're going to have more conflicts and we're going to splinter. And so we need to, we need to listen to each other and think deeply about what is just. Um, Hayden Shaw in his book, Sticking Points, How to Get the Four Generations Working Together in the Twelve Places They Come Apart. <laughs> we got four generations in the workplace. And it's hard figuring it all out. I love one of the stories in the book. It's about this, this boomer uh, employer said she was about ready to fire her, her most productive uh, millennial worker. And he was talking to Hayden Shaw. I said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're about ready to fire your most productive worker? Yeah, why? Well, uh, the reality is she spends three hours a day on her laptop doing personal stuff. And so you're going to fire her, right? She She's your most productive worker, outworks everybody else, and you're going to fire her. Doesn't this show the thinking process? I don't have the answers for this. I'm a boomer. I don't have it all figured out. But the reality is we need to think about what is just and think deeply, multi-generationally, in the church and in the work world. Whatever is true, honorable, right, whatever is pure, it comes from the word hagios, which means holy. And so there is this reality that there is so much sordid, shabby, soiled, and smutty in the world that our minds ought to be filled with that which is pure. So that if God were to walk in the chambers of our mind, he would feel welcome in the chambers of our mind. 
Oh, wait, he does, doesn't he? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we have from God and we're not our own. That's convicting sometimes when my thinking isn't holy. Then he says, uh, true, honorable, right, just, pure, lovely. Guys, this is not a guy term. Guy, I want, guys, I want you to think about that, which is lovely. It's not one of the words. We, when we see something, we don't go, that's lovely. My mother used to say that all. That's lovely, Peter. That's lovely. By lovely, what Paul means is really winsome. That the thinking that takes place is so, is so winsome, is so grace-filled, that someone could sit back and say, you know, that's lovely. It's filled with love. It's a loving way of putting it. It's kind of like the, my philosophy professor in college made a big impact on me when, when uh, he came in one day and at the beginning of the day he said, you know, some lady cut me off in traffic and I got in an accident. That's why I was late. And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she had a fight with her husband that morning. I thought, now there's a pagan acting very graciously. That was lovely. I didn't think that back then, but I like to be around people who, when they say things about others, they go, you go, golly, that was winsome. It was rather lovely. (laughs) Think about those things that are of good repute. If something is of good repute, it's gracious, it can be repeated. There's stuff that is not of good repute. We've all had thoughts that are ugly and not so nice that should never reach the eardrums of somebody else. And so he says, if it's of good repute, that's great. If it's not of good repute, don't pass, don't think about that. If there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, the word uh, excellence is a Greek word that they were very, very, the Greeks were into excellence, excellent athletics, excellent academics, excellent everything. Arete, excellence. If there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Kind of a summary statement that when my mind, sometimes I'm thinking about something and this verse comes back to my mind and I think, was that excellent? Is this worthy of praise? Ay, ay, ay. Let your mind dwell on these things. All right, I got a third point because we've done some thinking about the mind. We've done some thinking about our thinking. Let's do some thinking about our thinking and doing. Verse nine, real quick. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Third point, real quick, there it is. That our thinking is the sum total of what we've received in the gospel and in the teaching of our teachers in the gospel. The things you've heard in the gospel and received in the word of God, practice these things. Because you see, The gospel ought to affect our mind. And then the truth in the word of God affects our heart, our affections, and our will, and our decisions, and our life. This is all kind of heavy on a Mother's Day. How do we walk out of here with this? Well, let me say, first of all, these, these two verses show something that we cannot do. 
And so the first thing is, we look at these, these verses of what we should think on and the importance of the mind and what our think, thinking is taking place. And it reminds us that we can't do this. Could any, don't raise your hand. Can any of you think these thoughts like this all the time? No, none of us. So one application of this that's so powerful and so important to understand is that these things that Paul is commanding us to think about, to be on our thinking, first of all, is how God thinks about us. Is that these are divine thoughts. These are, these are the thoughts that God has for us. This is how he thinks about you. He thinks about you through the gospel, through the work of Christ. He's not angry at you. He looks at, you know, there are times when I start confessing. Have you ever done this? You start confessing something that you confessed years ago. It's something you did and you still feel bad about. And, I, and, I, and I'm confessing. And he says, son, we talked about this before. I've forgiven you. I don't even remember it. Don't go there. And I literally hear that. Don't go there. Because you're dwelling on the past. This is how I view you now as my deeply beloved son. So understand, first of all, this is how God views us through the gospel, the good news. Second, I want you to understand that this is the kind of thinking that we literally can have, progressively so, leading us in a whole new different kind of life because of the gospel. That we are set free, and one of the major areas that we're set free is in our thinking. And how people defined you in the past is not how God defines you, and his opinion is the only opinion that really matters. And when the evil one comes running to you and throws sin in your face or negativity in your face, you don't have to go there. The evil one doesn't define you. God defines you. So when your thinking gets into the stinking category, what do you do? We repent. I mean, there's a flow to the Christian life. We repent. We run back to the cross. We say, oh, Lord, my mind has been where it shouldn't have been. I repent. Come in, clean it up. And what does he do? He comes back in and cleans it up and begins moving us in this direction. And progressively, we grow. It's powerful. Now, it's possible you're here today and you aren't a Christian, and so I got a word for you on this. I've been talking mostly to Christians, and we're glad you're here, by the way. Uh, this is a church where you could come and, and look for the truth. But if you're here today and you're saying, how does this apply to me? Well, it applies like this. You might be running the recordings of the past that defined your present and you would dearly love to get free. And you just can't undo the tapes. But we, we have something to offer you and that is the one who can actually reach into your mind and begin to turn it around. We don't offer you perfect examples. Contrary to popular opinion, the church is not a place filled with perfect people. It's filled with very sick people. Getting better. But, but we know the one who is making us better, and his name is Jesus. And we would love to talk to you about that. Somebody love to pray with you afterwards? I would. 
to accept the Savior who has the ability to undo the past and create a new future. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I told you I wasn't here because I was in California doing a men's retreat. And as soon as I landed in California, the area director for Man in the Mirror says, hey, Pete, you want to go to an In-N-Out burger? That was the first thing. You want to go to an In-N-Out burger? You know, Californians are obsessed with In-N-Out burger. You know that. How many of you are obsessed with In-N-Out burger? Yeah, I see those hands. See, you're all crazy. But I'm a Californian, so what did I say? I said, sure, let's go to In-N-Out burger. We got to go to In-N-Out burger. I mean, absolutely. Why? I, but I love the idea. It's fast. It's good food. I mean, that's not good for you, but it's good food. But I love the idea that what, what goes in does, does come out in your life. Always. Inevitably. Leads me back to this text. Now, I want to wrap up with something that's a little heavy. And I want to wrap, I want to wrap this up with something heavy because I believe this thinking passage is so crucial that we Christians need to grasp it and we need to live in light of it. 1984 was a great year because uh, my oldest son was born in that year. But 1984 is also the name of a book George Orwell wrote years ago. Neil Postman, in his uh, online interactions with some thinkers about Orwell and Huxley, wrote this. He said, we were keeping our eye on 1984 when the year came and the prophecy didn't. Thoughtful Americans sang softly in praise of themselves. The roots of liberal democracy had held. Wherever else the terror had happened, at least we had not been visited by Orwellian nightmares. How many of you read the book 1984 years ago? Yeah, a lot of you. He said, but we'd forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision... There was another slightly older, slightly less well-known, equally chilling Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. How many of you read that one? Yeah. Contrary to common belief, even among the educated, Huxley and Orwell did not prophesy the same oppression. Orwell warns that we will be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. But in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. What Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy, and the centrifugal bumble puppy. I have no idea what that is, <laughs> except I think it's emotionalism. 
As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and the rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distraction. In 1984, Orwell added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we fear will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we desire will ruin us. The orgy, porgy, emotionalism, which vision of oppression do you think is happening now? I think Huxley in 1932 had it right. And why the Apostle Paul says that there's freedom in the gospel from a world system that is taking us away to an unrestrained hedonism that will destroy us. That's why Paul says, finally, brothers, sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, let your mind dwell on those things. So I gave my application last week at the very beginning of the sermon. What was the application? Memorize these verses. Let them run through your heart. And then you will take it to heart. And it'll change your life. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for the joy of the gospel. We thank you for how the gospel sets us free in our thinking and in our living. And thank you that you took the time to speak to us through Paul in such a way that we would build lives that set us and lead us to freedom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May we live the rest of today joyful in the truth that you have implanted in us. For we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.